Hey, it's great to have you back for another episode of the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, where we're very passionate about investing in your leadership 20 minutes or so at a time, except for when we have an interview, which we do today, which I promise you is going to help you grow in your leadership. If you're new with us, we release a new podcast teaching on the first Thursday of each month. And I do want to really, really encourage you to subscribe and uh, get the leader guide. Go to life.church slash leadership podcast and click on the link and we'll send you the leader guide. It's got discussion questions you can go over with your team. Also, I want to tell you that I'm ridiculously excited. I am releasing a book this fall called Lead Like It Matters. I cannot wait to put this book in your hands. Back in 2008, I wrote a book called It, uh, How Do You Get It and Keep It in Your Leadership. This is a expanded and revised version of the book. There's 40,000 new words in this book. It's called Lead Like It Matters. It is written directly to church leaders. I wanna be very, very clear. It is to church leaders. The good news is that as a church leader, I've learned more from business leaders than I can ever imagine. The principles do transfer, uh, but I wanna be clear, it's written to church leaders, but I promise you, whatever you lead, that there will be uh, content in there that will help you in your leadership. We're gonna link to more information with some pre-order incentives in case you wanna pre-order the book. It's called Lead Like It Matters. Uh, Today though, I've got a fantastic interview. Get ready to um, be challenged, inspired, and equipped. My good friend, Sean Johnson, uh, started a church in 2005. It's grown to nine sites. It is the largest church in Colorado, the very largest church in Colorado. He is a world-class leader and he had uh, a very, very challenge, big challenge in his life with anxiety and stress. He wrote a new book that is incredible, uh, so incredible that I was honored to write the forward for it. The book is called Attacking Anxiety from Panicked and Depressed to Alive and Free. He is um, open, transparent, and he's gonna give us wisdom that's gonna bless you today. So I'm honored to have Sean as our guest today. Welcome, Sean. Hey, thank you for having me. It's uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I have too, thank you. We, uh, we have so many offline conversations that are incredibly meaningful to me. And every time we talk, I walk away with new insight or I'm asking better questions. And so I'm super excited to introduce our leadership community to those that haven't heard of you yet. And so we know that you are a pastor. We know you're an author. Congratulations on your new book, Attacking Anxiety. I'll show it to the camera from panicked and depressed to alive and free. Unfortunately, this isn't a case study of other people. I wish it was. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I really wish it was. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that because I know right now the leaders that I'm talking to are dealing with more anxiety and stress than I've ever seen in in, uh, all my years of leadership. But first, just on a more personal note, for fun, what are you doing? Are you boxing, kicking? (laughs) What are you doing now? I just started boxing. Yeah. And uh, I say it's for fun. Um, I leave and go, I'm paying to be tortured on a consistent basis. Yes. But I absolutely love it. You love it? Yep. What do you love about it? I love that I can't think about work, Mm-hmm. or problems or issues or like it is so hard for me just to figure out the footwork mm-hmm. and try to not get hit mm-hmm. and do the right combinations that mm-hmm. I have to leave everything else in life behind for about an hour, hour and a half. And it's really good for me. I'm finding that we, we know that healthy distractions for leaders, that's always important. Yeah. But in this season right now, anytime I'm working with someone that is really stressed and anxious, I'm advising find something that disengages your yep. mind 
for you, it's something like boxing. For someone else, it might be putting puzzles together or making stuff in the garage or whatever. But you got to find something. And, and especially if it's something that you're having to learn, I yes. think it's way better. Yep. Well, and I used to say that going to the gym was my outlet. The problem was, is I would work while I was at the gym. I right. would listen to leadership podcasts. I would be taking notes. I'd be thinking about what's coming next week. Mm -hmm. And so I was working out, but not disengaging. Yes. And I, that's what I love about boxing is mm -hmm. I can't think of anything else but that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I completely understand. I did two lessons, <laughs> boxing, and now I'm back to jujitsu because boxing was too hard. It's incredibly complicated. Well, and I feel the same about jujitsu because I've done a few jujitsu lessons. Yes. And, uh... Got my arm about twisted off right. and went, I think I'll box. So if we get in a fight, you're going to try to stay on your feet and I'm going to try to take you down. That's yes. just how it's going to go. I'm so. probably just going to run, let's be honest. <laughs> so <laughs> That's ho hopefully we don't have to do that. So I just, I want to say, Sean, that I absolutely and sincerely have so much admiration mm. for you as a leader. Thank you. Seeing you in your environment is really special. You've got unbelievable leadership instincts. You've got a world-class team of people, many of which wouldn't be considered traditional leaders, which I like. Yeah, yeah. Like you pick people out of obscurity and invest in them <laughs> yeah. and make them great. And you have, um, with a lot of people over years and with the help of someone that's a lot stronger than us, built the uh, largest church in all of Colorado, yeah. which is incredibly special. Thank in you. the middle of that, you um, were running well, doing a lot of good things, and then... I hate to go straight for the jugular in it, but I think that's why we're here <laughs> because I think this is going to be most helpful. You kind of hit a wall. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Yeah. So I had been feeling, I'd, I've been dealing with anxiety and depression for 15, 20 years um, and always felt embarrassed by it. Felt more embarrassed by it when I got saved, when I gave my life to God and started hanging around churches, mm -hmm. talking about peace and joy and freedom and realizing I don't think I have those things. Mm -hmm. So I just hid it for a long time. And then our organization, we doubled in size the first four years. Mm. And at our four-year mark, the guy that I co-founded it with quit. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling like this, my chest is getting tight a lot. Mm -hmm. I would just walk around the office and be like, I'm not breathing in very often. Mm -hmm. And um, started going, oh my gosh, I think I'm having anxiety. And I'll never forget, it was the first time anyone had ever done a, a magazine write-up about our organization. And he said, um, one, of the, one of the first questions was, did you ever think you'd be this successful? Mm -hmm. And what he didn't know is that day, I had went to my doctor's office in downtown Denver, shaking and crying, mm -hmm. thinking I was dying. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're not dying, you're having a panic attack. And he put me on anti-anxiety medications. Mm -hmm. And so... On the outside, everything looked great. The yep. organization was growing. I was really struggling on the inside, but scared to death mm -hmm. to show it because I thought if I show it, how would that affect the organization? Right. There's so many things I, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into because first of all, you said you doubled, you know, double, 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 double for mm -hmm. four, four years straight, which is hard on any leader. Yeah. Then I thought when you're flat, that's hard on any leader. And then I thought, when you're declining, <laughs> that's hard on any leader. That's it. And, and what my point is that there are very few seasons of leadership where it's not just challenging, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, so you can, you can have stress, you can have anxiety in any type of season. The thing that I want to try to hit 
on because I know that I can imagine a lot of leaders listening to it. I mean, we're just barely getting warmed up. They're going, oh my gosh, this guy's reading my mail. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it is that as leaders, we don't feel comfortable being vulnerable about being human? Gosh, it's such a good question. When I started, I had never led anything in my life. We just had an idea. In my mind... I got to kind of be 10 feet tall and bulletproof mm -hmm. for people to want to follow me. If they see me as weak, why would they want to follow me? If they see me as not being able to handle the pressure, why would they want to follow me? That, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And so I was always scared to death to like not have the right answers, not have the right plan. And I was really scared to death to let them to know how I was kind of unraveling on the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, that to me felt like such a weakness. And as a leader, I've, I've always been competitive and I want, to be, I want to be strong and I want to go and I want to conquer and I want to build. And none of those words work well with anxiety and depression on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so I always felt like it was such a, it was just, it was something that I so didn't want to be. So I just didn't want to admit it and I didn't want anyone else to know. So you kept it quiet. Mm-hmm. And you kept getting magazine articles written about hmm. you, continued to grow, continued to mm -hmm. see lives change, continue yeah. to add staff, continue to build buildings, and the pressure stayed the same, mounted? You know, it's funny. When we started, probably like pretty much everybody listening, when you start, you have dreams of growing. Mm -hmm. What I found was every time we would grow, the pressure would increase. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, at what point are these people going to find out that I don't really know what I'm doing? And, and the bigger the organization got, the more pressure I felt to keep up the act that I know what I'm doing and I'm really confident and I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, I was always struggling with confidence and that was adding to the anxiety. And so as the organization grew, my, my fear of people finding out how I was struggling grew. So I kept trying to hide it more and more. Mm -hmm. I want to um, reference a couple of times an article. I'm going to recommend this article along with your book, Attacking Anxiety, which is incredibly raw, yeah, it transparent, is. and helpful, yeah, which I appreciate. And uh, there's a Harvard Business Review article called Leading Through Anxiety. And I'm going to quote it a couple of times. Part of it says this. It says, in the U.S., anxiety is the most common mental illness affecting more than 40 million adults each year. Studies show that about 30% of Americans will experience clinical anxiety at some point in their lives. Mm. What I'd like to know, Sean, is in a little spoiler alert for our community is that you did have a breakdown. Yeah. And many leaders do. Yeah. We want to try to avoid that. But before the breakdown, what did you know about anxiety? Very little, mm -hmm. uh, to be honest. I knew that I had it. And what I thought I knew, so it was so incorrect. What I thought I knew was I'm really broken on the inside and most people won't understand this. Mm -hmm. And so I just got to hide it. Mm -hmm. And and I knew very little about it mm -hmm. other than it was getting the, 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 a few years before I had my full on breakdown, I had this feeling all the time of I'm running so fast and struggling so much on the inside. Like this is on a timer. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, do this forever. I don't know how long I can, but I knew like, I, this won't, I can't do this long-term. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what's got to change. And I didn't know how to change it. Yep. 
and I knew very little about it. This is the very reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast because I'm very thankful that I'm friends with some leaders that give me the gift of transparency, yeah. meaning we take off the kind of leader show and just talk <laughs> yeah. about the here's where I'm hurting yeah. part. And there's so many of them that say almost the exact same thing hmm. as you. I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. I don't know if I can go the distance. Uh, it, when is it going to unravel? Am mm -hmm. I going to end up curled up in a ball? I mean, there's mm -hmm. literally this ongoing fear. And so I want to dive deeper into what you learned, hear a little bit more of your story. And I want to read to you a quote, and then we're going to go deeper into what you went through. This, again, is through that same article that talks about anxiety has a purpose. So this is a paraphrase quote from the article I referenced before, and it goes like this. But this is my paraphrase. We're no longer prey to wild animals. But to the damage of our self-esteem, ostracism by our group, or threat of losing out in a competitive struggle. So the authors say, basically, the form of anxiety has changed. In other words, we're not running for our lives from animals attacking. But the experience is similar. Though we aren't faced by predators, we're chased by leadership uncertainties, mm -hmm. we're chased by staff challenges, by health issues, uh, by worries that provoke the same neurological and physical responses. So if they're saying anxiety can be a good thing, but yeah. yet we're experiencing the same thing, is anxiety good? Was it ever good in your life? Well, so it's interesting because I thought when I had in 2019, you know, I had this, I just fell apart, lost it, had to go check myself into a seven week anti-anxiety counseling treatment center, had to take several months off work. Um, I thought the goal was get anxiety all the way out of my life. It was really interesting. I was talking to a counselor one day and he said, you don't want that. You don't actually want to get rid of all of your anxiety. And I was like, what? And he, what he called it was, he said, there's facilitating anxiety and then there's debilitating anxiety. He said, facilitating anxiety is a gift from God. It's that thing that used to keep us safe from wild animals, right? But it, now it's like, okay, don't drive 120 miles an hour next to the guardrail going up Pikes Peak Mountain. Um, I live in Littleton. Don't walk on certain paths with your kids without being on high alert because there's just rattlesnakes up there. Um, but he said it, something that I thought was real interesting. He said it also helps you perform at your best. It's like a, like a batter stepping into a batter's box and you get those jitters. It's, it's making a big sale. It's having an important conversation. It's the things that we do the, when we want to be performing at our best. Like we don't want to get rid of that. And I think for leaders there's a really good benefit to some facilitating anxiety, right? Because like the, the rattlesnake analogy, if I'm leading my family on a path, I'm the one in front looking around the corner. I'm looking for risks. I'm looking for opportunities. I'm looking for a better trail. Well, I want to do that with my organization. I want to be the guy that's on high alert. I'm looking for risks. I'm looking for pitfalls. I'm also looking for opportunities. So I think there's some really good stuff with that facilitating anxiety. It's when it goes too far, and all of a sudden I can't live my life normal anymore, that's when it turns to debilitating. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And so your book title could have been a lot of things. Yeah. You could have said managing anxiety, yeah. avoiding anxiety, neutralizing anxiety. Why do you use the word attack? For me, I had a conversation with someone who does what I do for a living, but they're ahead of me in the game. They've been doing it for longer. And I was telling him about all of my panic attacks and depression and all the stuff I was dealing with. And he said, you know, maybe it's time to stop blaming yourself for this stuff. And maybe it's time to start fighting back. 
And when he told me that, something like rose up on the inside of me, like, that's what I need to do. And so for me, it's kind of an offensive versus defensive thing. For probably 20 years, the way I dealt with anxiety was, I'll wait till I feel anxious, and then I'll figure out how to live through it. If you flip it, I'm going to go, no, I know the things that make me anxious. I know when anxiety is going to be more prevalent in my life. So I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to do some things ahead of time to get ahead of the curve. And so I'm not just playing defense all the time, but now I'm going to go play offense and actually get to walk in some freedom. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I've been blessed to no credit my own to not battle with a lot of anxiety Mm -hmm. until I did. Yeah. And, And it came out of nowhere probably three years ago. And my body almost shut down. And so, uh, interestingly enough, and I, I want to say this to some leaders, because when you're hurting, I used to want someone to come rescue me. Like, mm-hmm. I thought, someone's going to come help me. Yeah, Someone's going to save me from me. And what I had to recognize kind of in your vein is that there is no one else who can stop me from me. There is no one else coming. And if you're dealing with anxiety... And you f- if you feel like a victim, you're always going to be a victim. Mm-hmm. You're all, it's always going to beat you. And so that, that's what I like about your book is that you just said, even, even though you really were curled up in a ball, like For sure. that, that you, ha- you said, I have to fight mm-hmm. back and you have to do something about it. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. Can you, as, as much as you feel comfortable, yeah. because I know it's a very intimate story and not something that you like to shout from the rooftops because you are a strong leader, but you had a weak moment, yeah. very weak moment. Yeah. How, how much of that are you willing to tell us about when you did Anything break down? Anything you want to know. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us what happened. It was 2019. Um, I had been, I'd been starting to have panic attacks fairly frequently. Um, I, I'd, I'd just be in a restaurant and start feeling claustrophobic. Um, mine always started with the feeling of being trapped, whether it was uh, trapped in a situation trapped in a room, trapped in a car. Um, and so I was starting to have these, and I, then I started feeling trapped in my job. And oddly enough, it was the success of our organization that started making me feel trapped mm-hmm. because the organization starts to succeed. You get better and better at what you're doing. And then you feel like, well, now this is, this is all I can really ever do probably for the rest of my life now because it's going so well. What else am I going to do? And I, that started making me feel trapped. Driving down the street one day, my chest starts getting tight. I start feeling real claustrophobic. I'm in my truck. And I could tell, like, this panic attack was just different. Mm. And I honestly felt like I was going to suffocate. I started shaking. Um, I started crying. I started getting super claustrophobic. I was like, I just had to get out of my car. And I didn't know where to go. And so I literally just pulled my car over on the side of the highway in Denver. I called Jill. I I said, like, babe. And she knew exactly because, you know, she knows. And she's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I said, I'm not. And she said, can you make it home? And I said, I can't. Mm -hmm. And then I I said, please pray. And I hung up. In retrospect, probably not the best way to handle that with her, but I was literally walking along the highway in Denver, crying and shaking, sort of just yelling to the air, yelling to God. Um, My wife knew where I was coming from. Her and a couple friends came and found me. I don't know how long I was there. And the first thing I said when they showed up is I quit. I can't do it. I can't take the pressure. I can't do this. Um, I didn't even want to live. Um, I got so bad that, and it's so silly when you look back because you go, man, on paper, you have so many great aspects of life, so many blessings in life. 
but it got so dark that I just was like, I just don't even want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had started to convince myself, my anxiety is so bad. I think the people I love would be better off without me. And then it got real dark, which is why I went, I need to go get counseling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you, thank you for sharing that. There's not a lot of leaders of your caliber that Mm -hmm. would. And then especially we have a lot of pastors in our audience that might feel like they don't have the um, permission to be that real because they might be yeah. viewed as a spiritual failure. Yeah. And, and I, do, I do just want to say to our community right now, because I can imagine that there is a portion of people that are kind of on the edge like that. And what we want to do is before we break down, yes, we want to open up. Yes. And I don't know how to say it, but just directly, like if you know that's your trajectory, let's stop today mm-hmm. and let's talk to some people yeah. that, um, that we can trust. Yeah. And let's get help before we need real help. Yeah. And that's part of the attacking anxiety, right? It's, let's not wait. I had to learn this the hard way. Mm-hmm. Let's not wait till you absolutely fall apart yep. to have somebody in your life that you're talking to. So the great news is here we are, what, three years later? Yeah. And you are crushing it again hmm. in, as a leader. You're doing fantastic, but you have some new tools. Yeah. Without the tools, you wouldn't be. Yeah. And so if you fast forward from the breakdown to today, mm-hmm. You are back in the game, yeah. on top, making a big difference. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the tools you picked up? What, what did you learn mm. that's helping you today? Because you're not anxiety-free, yeah. but you are attacking it yep. and leveraging it yep. to make a difference. To- in fact, that that's actually something that's really important. When I went to counseling, um, some of the people in my life, even my wife, who they just love me and want the best for me, they would say things to me like, I can't wait until you're healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, then all of a sudden I had this pressure on me that like, I can't leave counseling till I'm better. I might be here forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And one of my counselors was like, no, no, no. Um, that's not, the, the goal is not healthy. The goal is healthier. Mm. You're healthier, you're better, mm-hmm. you're stronger. And that's where I'm at for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, is I'm just better and healthier and stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is something you do today you didn't do before that's helping you be healthier today than you were yesterday? One of the biggest things is is just not hiding it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, hiding it was the worst thing I could ever do. Yep. And I thought I was doing everyone in my life a favor by hiding it. I thought I was doing our organization a favor by hiding it. After I stopped hiding it, started getting some help, started getting a little better, healthier, and stronger— once I circled back and started having real talks with our staff, what I, what I learned is they didn't know what was going on with me, but they, they knew I was more irritable. They knew I was turning into somewhat of a tyrant. They knew I was really hard to approach. They knew I was pretty standoffish. Like they were seeing a bunch of things in me that were making it harder for them to follow me. And I'm thinking I'm doing them all a favor by hiding it. Once I was honest with them, and was like, man, I've been really hurting. I've been really struggling. I'm going to go get some help. I came back, did a lot of apologizing. All the relationships that I thought would get worse if I was honest are now all better, closer. Our team's more united. Um, our organization has never been moving at a faster pace. And I don't have to hide the fact that this is a real thing for me. And sometimes I have to step away from things and go, hey, I have to monitor my mental health a little bit. I used to just go 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire until I crashed. Now I go, okay, I know we've got a busy three months coming up. So I'm going to not 
I'm not going to let it hit me and then go, now what? I'm going to look at my calendar, get proactive and go, me and my wife are going to go away for four days in three months of 100 miles hair on fire because mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of my mental health before it's an issue right. this time. And interestingly enough, so I, there's like, I got a hundred things I want to say about this because <laughs> it's so rich. Uh, when you when you were transparent with your team, they didn't respect you less, they trusted you more, yep. right? Which is powerful. The other thing that many leaders don't understand is by you publicly showing how you have to work to take care of yourself, you give permission to and empower your yep. team to do the same thing. Yep. Because they don't necessarily know how, nor do they necessarily feel permission to. What I found was when I finally went to our staff, we have a little over 100 employees. When I went to our staff and started sharing openly and honestly about my struggles, all of a sudden they felt like, oh my gosh, I don't have to hide my struggles. I can share some of this too. And it has started this domino effect of, you know, and we've always said like, we want to operate like a family. We've never been more of a family than we are now because we're actually bearing one another's burdens because we actually know what each other's burdens are. Right. So we say it in the podcast a lot that people would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. Mm. We could put a lot of other words in there. We could say we people would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always strong. Yeah. Or one who's always confident or one who shows no yeah. weakness. P- people really do genuinely connect emotionally with authenticity more than great outward leadership qualities. We want to we want to believe in the person, not just their gifts. Yep. And you're giving them insight into who you are as a person. And I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I thought it would go the opposite direction. I thought people would leave. I thought people would um, lose a lot of respect. And what I found is people like we have we've never banded together more than we are right now. And I think there is there's that like I thought they wanted to follow a superhero. Mm-hmm. I think what they actually want to follow is a human. Yes. Who cares about them and has a good future in mind for all of us. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to wrap back to something you said earlier when I was asking about the tools. You said something, I wish I could quote you exactly, but you said something like uh, just admitting it is. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I've learned is I'm, I'm not a counselor, but I did have two whole counseling classes in seminary, right? <laughs> and I uh, have worked with a lot of people and I read a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've learned, and I don't understand the why behind it, but I do believe it's true, is that when you label an emotion, there's something about that that's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And here's what I found is a lot of leaders don't like the label anxiety Mm-mm. because there's a there's a shaming sense to it or a guilty mm-hmm. something. And so I read one article one time that I thought was helpful. It said, if you don't like that label, label it something else, but label it. Call it something. Call it something. Yeah. Call it stress. Call it unease. Call it I'm unsettled. But when you label it, that gives you a sense of uh, it's outside of you. You can see it. Then you, then you can have a strategy toward it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think in wrapping back up all the brilliance of what you're saying to our community, I want to say a couple things is, is be aware of it early. Yeah. Ask for help early. Label it. Call it something so that there is an external enemy to attack, to, to yep. grow through. And then the, don't feel like you have to, keep it to yourself. Yeah. yeah. I don't know very many people who, I don't even know, is it possible to overcome it in isolation? I, I don't know that it is because we, we, we heal better in community. I, I, I definitely agree. We heal better in community. I couldn't overcome it in isolation. Um, and you know, when you were saying about labeling things, it's interesting in that seven weeks of, uh, 
uh, inpatient counseling. The first two hours of every day was classwork on how to practically deal with anxiety and depression. And one of the things that helps in the middle of a panic attack is to actually label it and go, this is just a feeling. This is not who I am. And it is going to pass. So in, in your book, Attacking Anxiety, one of the things you wrote about was so many leaders, so many people, they, they suffer silently. And you talked a lot about that. What's interesting to me about your story is I'm grateful you trusted me on the early end just to be a voice of encouragement, support, um, and prayer for you. But you pro- you had to keep the circle a little bit tight yeah. in, in the early season. Uh, I'm interested in your wife, Jill, who is world-class. Like me, you outpunted your coverage, right? 100%. And your boys, what part did they play in your getting healthier? So in my hiding, again, I want to be her knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy can't have anxiety and depression. Right. I want to be my, my three boys. I want to be their hero. Well, that guy can't have anxiety and depression. So again, I'm trying to to hide it. When I finally had that huge breakdown, the next morning I woke up and my first temptation was, let's just keep rolling. Mm. It was a bad day, real bad day, but let's keep rolling. But then I was like, no, I, I have to do something about this. I can't keep living this way. I sat down with my boys and I said, guys, um, I think I need to check myself into this center. And I actually started crying. I was like, I'm going to miss a bunch of your football games. Mm. And I'm going to miss you doing this. And I'm going to miss you doing this. And I'll never forget, one of my sons looked at me and he goes, Dad, we've watched you deal with anxiety our whole lives. Go get help. Mm -hmm. I thought I was hiding it from them. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. They knew. And sharing the depths of it with my wife was game-changing for our relationship. What a lot of people do that I've talked to with anxiety and depression is usually at some point it's so bad you can't fully hide it. So we share about 90% of it. Yeah, I got a little anxiety. Yeah, I feel a little depressed. You know, we'll get through it. When I went with that last 10%, and I'm talking about Pastor Craig, like when I went like, hey, babe, when everybody goes to sleep and I can't, sometimes I think about ending my life. Hmm. Like it gets that dark. Mm -hmm. When I went all the way there with her, I'll never forget we had this moment she said one morning when I was in that counseling center, we were outside talking and she said, I really believe you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. And I said, what if I don't? And her response was, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That was the, I remember thinking that's the most loved I think I've ever been in my whole life because I finally let her know everything. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it with my family. I've seen it with our organization. The more real I've been willing to be, which is super scary, the more it's bonded us together. This uh, is kind of odd. Like This sincerely makes me emotional because I care for your family so much. And our leadership community, you know, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people that will listen to podcasts, and I don't know very many of them, but I, like, love, love, love them. And I know that so many are hurting right now. Just mm-hmm. it's, it's really rare to have a conversation with a leader that's not struggling right now. And what you said is so important. You said you went to the last 10%. I just... I just kind of want to beg our leaders out there to recognize that when you're hurting, you're not alone, especially in this climate. And it's not worth doing if we can't go the final 10%. Like there's no, there's not enough outward success, inward validation, social media applause, money in the bank, notoriety, 
power popular. There's not enough of it that ever can satisfy if you don't have a few people you can go the whole 100% way. And I just applaud you for doing that. It shows, and I'm going to ask you a question that I don't like when people ask me, so I apologize. Someone asked me the other day, I I put a post up uh, when I was leading and preaching at the age of like 23, and they said, what would you tell that guy, that Hmm. younger version of you in five minutes? And I thought, I don't even know where I'd start. Like, yeah. I don't. I have, so I, much. I, I, I don't even know. I, I have no idea what I tell mm-hmm. him. Like, like, good luck. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. it's going to be. I, I don't. I don't know what I say. Yeah. But I want to ask you this, because I want you to talk to some leaders ahead of time. But yeah. if you could go back to that young entrepreneurial Sean, and and what I'm visualizing right now is I'm visualizing the person who's starting a business. I'm I'm visualizing the entrepreneur. I'm visualizing a person who's creating content. I'm visualizing a youth pastor. I'm visualizing a person who feels called to ministry. I'm visualizing someone that's um, going to go dig water wells and they're going to start it. I'm visualizing someone whose organization has doubled four years in a row and someone who is struggling right yeah. now. And they're they're staring at a mountain of anxiety and don't know what to do. If you could go back to young Sean, mm-hmm. knowing now the outward success that he would experience with mm-hmm. the inward struggle What'd you tell him? I would tell him, um, you are enough and you're broken and you can be both. You don't have to hide all your faults and flaws from the people you love or the people you're leading. I would tell him to be very proactive about getting some people in your life that are a little bit ahead of the game in whatever it is you want to be good at. If you want to be good at being a parent, a husband, a CEO, whatever it is, find somebody who's a little bit ahead of the game, whose character you trust and whose competency you respect and ask them questions. Be honest with them about your hurts. Be honest with them about your fears. Um, I hid so much in my life trying to impress people. And uh, it, it, it all stemmed from growing up feeling like I was not enough. And so I'm going to go build a big, great organization and I'm going to feel like I'm enough. I thought I had to pretend to be perfect to do that. And it actually just made it harder. Very powerful. And so to every leader listening, you have what it takes to do what you're called to do. And you're still broken. Yep. And we always will be <laughs> yep. in this life. We're always going to be flawed. We're yep. always going to have struggles. And we always have the gifts and not just us, it's never just us, but the people mm-hmm. around us, the mm-hmm. insight, the wisdom to learn. What a great day and age that we live in yeah. that we have access to what a gift to our leadership community that you would bring your story, mm-hmm. your experience and, uh, and, and offer it. And so thank you. Thank you. Just on a little lighter note, you yeah. for a little lightning round. Yes. Yeah. Hit me. Yeah, because Sean's really fun. <laughs> we got serious I, on this. I've thing. been in some places with him when he actually embarrassed me around people being uh, <laughs> kind of like not necessarily pastoral. <laughs> meaning guy, Never. Having fun. Okay. Lightning round just for fun. All right. Uh, you live in Denver, Colorado. For our international audience, they may not know there's a lot of snow and a lot of mountains. Yeah. So um, skiing or snowboarding? Snowboarding. Okay. You were uh, of the newer generation of cool kids. Well, not really. I've had, I've blown out both my ACLs playing sports in college. And so my doctor was like, don't ever ski, just learn to snowboard. I'm very mediocre, but I do it. Way back to when you were a kid, mm-hmm. what was the best sitcom, childhood favorite sitcom? Mm. 
the two things that pop up immediately are Facts of Life and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, <laughs> cl- <laughs> classic. Facts of Life. I always felt a little guilty watching that one. Like I was, well, I was in learning stuff I shouldn't. I was too young. I was learning stuff. <laughs> was that Blair? Stuff. Was she on that show? I remember the name Blair, but I'm afraid to say if that was the one you should have been in love with or not. I just don't know. I don't remember. Maybe don't it's remember. the wrong show. I, I don't remember. Something new you've tried in the last year? Boxing. Boxing. Yep. yep. Very good. And... um Biggest personal leadership insecurity you still face? A lack of confidence in myself. Okay. So let me flip that one just for fun. It's not in my notes, but what's your biggest reason to be confident in leadership? Biggest reason to be confident? Maybe the fact that I can't answer that very quickly is part of the problem. Yeah, I would say to everyone listening that it's okay to have a um, insecurity because yeah. we all do. Yeah but you also want to have a reason to be confident. Yeah. Because you're great at what you do. So I'm going to ask you again. Okay. What's your reason for being confident? And if you don't have one, I'll give you five. I have experienced a lot of tough things in life. I have learned a lot of great lessons, and I have a lot of good information to share to help people. Excellent answer. You also have a lot of good leadership intuition. You pick people great. You see into the future. You're innovative. You're a risk taker. And the list could go on and on. But Thank you. since you hesitated, I'd make sure you don't <laughs> hesitate you. next you. time. The number one quality you look for in people when you're adding staff. You know, I don't know the right answer. And being on a leadership podcast, I feel like I should have the right answer. The first thing I thought of was hungry. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's going to be initiative, someone who... Yeah. Um, obviously, depending on what it is, you got to be good at what you're doing. But if you're hungry enough... You can probably learn to be good at what you're doing. Hundred percent. I'd yeah. rather have someone who's that's just the first hu- word that someone that's in my mind. hungry, that's got a B level talent, mm-hmm. rather than someone who has A level talent and is complacent. That's it. Take the hungry person all yep. day long. What are you excited about in the next season of leadership? What's something you're looking forward to? We are at a stage where we're wanting to take new ground like never before, and feeling a bit of that. Something I think that every organization deals with is like leadership development. So I've been getting really excited about trying to find the right people in the organization, trying to pour as much into them as I can Mm -hmm. and get them to start taking some risks and take our organization to new heights. You've accomplished so much in life. You're one of the most broadly successful people that I interact with. What would you say is the the top of the list of things that you're proud of? Right now, it's that um, I didn't give up in the middle of what was the hardest season of my adult life because I wanted to. So if there's someone out there thinking about giving up, that could be at the top of the list of things they're Oh my gosh, proud of. here's what I'd say. I know how real the feelings are of I want to throw in the towel on the dream, the organization, even at times on life. But I also know that if you decide not to, there will be a time when you will turn around and look back. You can't see it right now. There'll be a time when you turn around and you'll look back and you'll go, thank God I didn't give up because look what I got to experience. Well, if you're driving down the road, if you're on a uh, treadmill right now, or if you're uh, working out somewhere or whatever, and you want to just clap wherever you are, you can <laughs> clap for Sean because that was a fantastic interview, and I'm grateful for your transparency. Yeah, thank you. The, uh, the book is called Attacking Anxiety from Panicked and Depressed to Alive and Free, and uh, you can find it at Red Rock Church slash Attacking Anxiety or anywhere the books are sold. You also have a free discussion guide. Is yep. that correct? Yep. We'll link to it in uh, in our leader guide. Perfect. And uh, hang on with me real quick before you turn this thing off. I want to shout out a few people who are posting on social media. If you're new with our leadership podcast, we do drop a new teaching on the first Thursday of every month. And I want to say a big thanks to Abby Chavez. 
to Samantha Securia. I hope I said your name right. And to Leighton Lavi, 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 Leighton. Uh, thank you guys for posting on social media. Uh, what I want to do is I want to work, work really, really hard to bring you the gift of good content. And your gift back to me is to rate the content, uh, write a review, post anywhere on social media, tag Sean, tag me if you do, our team might repost you as well. Also, I want to encourage you to get the leader guide at life.church slash leadership podcast. Click on the link and we're going to send you additional information. We're going to link to the Harvard Business Review article um, and put some tools into your hand to help you grow in your leadership. Also, I do want to remind you that we do have a new book coming out. I told you some about it before. I'll tell you even more about it in, uh, as the time comes. The book is Lead Like It Matters. We're talking directly to church leadership, but the good news is I learn from business books all the time. So whether you're in ministry or in your business, there will be leadership principles that will really help you um, in a significant way. So thank you for being a part of our leadership community, Pastor Sean. Well done, my friend. Thank you. Uh, we love to say this, that uh, keep investing in your leadership because everyone wins when the leader gets better.